Hello, everyone. It's Elizabeth. We have a great interview for you this episode with Kelly Freeman of NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that if you are listening to this on or before April 21st, 2018, it's not too late to donate to the annual Bullathon fundraiser for the National Network of Abortion Funds. Karen and I are bowling for the New York chapter, and if you would like to donate, you can follow the link in the show notes or go to bowl, B-O-W-L dot N-N-A-F dot org slash femcoffeepod. F-E-M-C-O-F-F-E-E-P-O-D. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Welcome to Feminist Coffee Hour. You can find us online at feministcoffeehour.com. You can find us on Twitter at femcoffeepod, or you can send us an email at feministcoffeehour at gmail.com. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. And today we have a special guest, Kelly Freeman. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thanks. Hello. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name's Kelly Freeman. I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I am an organizer. That's my day job, which is cool. I'm also a crafter and a burlesque dancer and a cat mom and now a regular mom. So I keep busy. So you work for NARAL right now? Yeah, NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. So I work for the state affiliate of Ohio. So what does that entail day-to-day, being an organizer for NARAL? So I cover central and southern Ohio, so like two-thirds-ish of the state. So I cover Columbus, Athens, Cincinnati, and Dayton, Ohio. It's a lot. I do a lot. I basically spend a week each month in Cincinnati. It's good that my in-laws live there because otherwise it would be very expensive. But I organize a lot of events. I do a monthly phone bank. I do a monthly craft craftivist night. I help organize reproductive health happy hours. Uh, I spend a lot of time at the state house messing with legislators. I do a lot. <laughs> I'm very tired. So Ohio's an interesting state to be working in in terms of abortion access. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it's really interesting because uh, I'm from South Carolina originally, and I moved to Ohio in 2014. Um, and people are like, "Oh, Ohio's so conservative." I'm like, mm, "No, not in, not in my experience, at least like comparatively." But the legislature is definitely very Republican heavy. We have they have a super majority in both the House and the Senate, and we they currently have the governorship. So while the population of Ohio, I don't actually think is dominantly conservative, the legislature definitely is, and that kind of shapes what the legislation is. So it's definitely an interesting state to be organizing in with regards to abortion access and abortion bans because it's constantly under attack. I mean, there's been 20 re- new restrictions since 2011, um, and we've seen over half of our abortion clinics in Ohio close. So it's not great. It's kind of like between us and Texas, just like who's got the shittiest ideas. Awesome. So what are some of the kind of ways that people who are, are not professional organizers in this a state where the governing body is hostile to abortion access, what are some of the things that people can do in their lives or in their activism? Are you talking about people who live in Ohio or people who like live in New York but want to support Ohio? For now, I'm talking about people who live in Ohio or similar kind of states where the the legislature is hostile to abortion access? Well, um, I guess it depends on the state. Like, there's a lot of affiliate groups and chapter groups of Planned Parenthood, of NARAL, of your local abortion fund that are always looking for volunteers. I mean, like I said, I have a monthly phone bank, and the more people that come out of that, the more we're going to be able to get done. That's always an easy way to get involved. I mean, I know a lot of people, especially my age, have phone anxiety, but most of us try to make our phone banks fun. 
if you're free during the day, which is not like everybody's like not everybody's going to be able to do that, of course, you can go to hearings, you can lobby your legislators. I actually had a volunteer call all 99 members of the House of Representatives in Ohio and to see if they had like a local coffee hour to see if they could lobby in district. Most of them did not. <laughs> but also, interestingly enough, most of your local reps were just bewildered that anyone was calling them to begin with. I mean, even just calling your legislators is just enough to bewilder them because uh, they're not used to people calling. <laughs> and then to the other question, what are some things that people in New York might be able to do to support people in remote areas that are hostile to abortion access? Well, I'm never going to turn down some money to my organization. <laughs> but I mean, there's a few, there's a handful of states that don't have uh, abortion funds, for example, like South Carolina does not have its own abortion fund. Mississippi didn't in the past, but may have one now. I'm not sure. There was at least, at least when I was looking, there was four states that didn't have their own statewide fund. So if you have friends in those states that might need support or might be interested in starting an abortion fund, that's a hell of a way to go. You might be able to make calls on your own, depending on if there's like some remote phone banks that you could do. And a lot of it is just like getting in contact with people who you know live in those states and getting them involved because sometimes it's just like a matter of getting like pushing people in that direction. And I mean, I have a friend, actually one of my volunteers is actually originally from New York and has moved to Ohio to like because she thought there was more that she could do here in Ohio than what she could be doing in New York. So you could also just move here. <laughs> So I follow you on social media, and it seems like you're always in the um, state capital. I actually did not know what the capital of Ohio was. I guess I kind of assumed it was Columbus because I saw you at the state house so often. It is Columbus, yep. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, okay. Because yeah. you said you were traveling to Cincinnati. I do, but that's because I just cover a lot of Ohio, and uh, Cincinnati is a pretty big state, too. But yeah, oh. Columbus is the capital, which is lucky for me because I don't want to have to drive two and a half hours to do a lot of my job every day. So, What do you do when you protest at the state house? And can you tell us about your Handmaid's Tale protest? I mean, yeah, it depends on what the bill is and uh, what we think we can get away with. Back in June, that's when my baby shower was because I was 30 weeks pregnant-ish, like around that time. And, you know, most of my friends happen to be abortion access advocates. That's just how it happens to shake out. And we were talking about what Texas did uh, in response to one of their bills, because that's actually who did the Handmaid's Tale protest first was Texas or maybe even Missouri. And we thought that would be fun. And that's when SB 145 was on the like was first being discussed in committee. And SB 145 is known as the method ban, which bans the most common procedure used in second trimester abortions. They've been calling it the dismemberment abortion just because that's what they do is take a procedure that's been used and make it sound scary and make it seem like an emotional thing. And uh just kind of chipping at back at an abortion access. I mean, this is what they did with the DNX ban back in the, what, early 2000s. So they're just kind of chipping back and back and back and back until, so it would basically outlaw abortions after 12 weeks or make them a lot more dangerous and a lot more time intensive because the only alternative really to the d &E is inducing labor, which rather than being up to 15 minutes is more like, I don't know, I, I was in labor for 30 hours and had to have a C-section, so... You're taking a 15-minute procedure and then turning into a potentially several day up to a week. You know, very traumatic. We decided that this would be a good visual protest for The Handmaid's Tale, since it was also like very relevant pop culture-wise. People were recognizing what the costumes meant. It was really fun to do because I was also seven months pregnant. So we've only done it for SB 145 because that's really where we thought it was the most relevant. Um, and uh, we haven't really done it since, but it was really 
powerful and got a lot of coverage. So, Yeah, what kind of reaction did you get and what kind of press did you get? In the actual committee room, it was really funny because it was silent. Like usually there's a lot of chatter going on in committee hearings. Like there's just a lot going on. Um, but when you have like these 12 to 14 women in red cloaks and white covers on their head, I mean, word, um, bonnets, that's the word just like sitting in the front row and not saying anything and not making eye contact it's really unsettling so there's nobody talking during this committee hearing and it's just really uncomfortable and honestly like i'm 31 32 33 weeks pregnant so i'm just very uncomfortable and very hot so it was kind of boring but it looked really really cool and uh made lots of people very uncomfortable and then with regards to like the press coverage it was way more than we ever thought it was going to be it was insane like uh, we were covered by Al Jazeera. We were covered by BBC. We were covered by Jezebel. Like pretty much any outlet that I can conceive of covered this protest. And it's even cool because it's been used as like like some of the photos that were taken have been used as stock photos for other things that were not related to what we did. So that's pretty cool. Do you think that it created more awareness around the specific legislation that was being discussed by the committee? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to potentially go to a floor vote last week, but it has been, as of right now, indefinitely suspended. But we may see it come back. So who knows where it's going and if it's going to end up anywhere. But it's already passed in the Senate. So now it's being heard in the House. It's January so. 2018, just for our listeners. Oh, yeah. Um, one more recording. This is probably going to air in April. So who knows what's oh. going to happen then. So it could have already passed or it could have just like died in committee, which is really like the goal. <laughs> just disappointing. But it's managed to keep going. But that's what a supermajority in the legislature does. Uh, even if like some of the Republicans like argue against themselves and they're like, this doesn't seem like a good idea and it seems very unconstitutional. There's just something behind the scenes going on that makes them vote along party lines anyway. So, Kelly, you talked about how you were in labor for 30 hours yes, and I was. you live tweeted your labor. Can I you did. talk about that? Why did you sure. do that? Because I was 40 weeks, four days pregnant and surly as hell. Uh, around 36 or 37 weeks, I find out that my child is both breech and that I have polyhydramnios, which is just excess amniotic fluid. And the doctor at the time decides to scare the hell out of me because he's not actually my OB. He's some guy who happens to be like doing my appointment because my actual OB is on vacation. And I hate him and he's 6'10 and he's too much human being and that's not neither here nor there. Wait, which one? <laughs> uh, oh, the, the guy who scared the hell out of me. Okay. He's, I just refer to him as asshole giraffe. So. Okay. So asshole giraffe. <laughs> yes. So he makes it seem that I've done a terrible job and I secretly have gestational diabetes, which I don't. And uh, so he's breech. And they're like, well, you're going to have to have a C-section. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want a C-section because I've heard that C-section re- recoveries are much harder and I have work to do. <laughs> so I... I'm hoping to have a natural birth, and on the 14th of August, I had an external cephalic version, which is where they flip your baby. They put a lot of pressure on your stomach after they give you a spinal, and you still kind of feel weird, and they like just push him around where he's no longer breech. And it's successful, which is exciting, because that means I don't have to have a C-section that day, and I can go home and wait to go into labor. But I see my OB at 40 weeks, three days, and she's like, due to the high, uh, polyhydramnios, you are, he is not properly engaging head down. You have, like, you are not dilated at all, and it's either, it's probably going to take a very, very long time if you're ever going to go into labor on your own. So, can we induce you? And I was like, ugh! fine yeah there's just like a higher occurrence of risk and like fetal death 
or I guess baby death at like 42 weeks postpartum. So they really want you to be giving birth before 42 weeks. And I'm at 40 weeks, four days, and it's friggin' August. So I'm ready to get this child out of me. So I agreed to be induced and I go over to the hospital and like, there's no room for me in the hospital. So I have to wait like three hours to get a room. And since I am not dilated at all i don't even get like pitocin initially they give me a fully catheter balloon in my cervix to open it up and then once i get a three centimeters and it falls out of me they give me pitocin and then uh, it's it's a nightmare it's a nightmare but i had them give me an epidural before they pop my water so it was mostly just boring and long and if you're not allowed to move from your bed because your legs don't work because you have an epidural even though you're pretty sure they're going to work and they're just like no you can't get out of bed you're just going to sit there and you're going to tweet because you have nothing to do. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's what I did. I decided to live tweet my labor because I was bored and because I don't think anybody actually knows what labor is like until you go through it. Because I sure as hell didn't. And if you had told me I was mostly going to be bored, that would have been a, like a, a pleasant thing to learn. Because <laughs> it's the Internet and the TV make it sound very, very scary. And I don't think it is until the actual like end of it. But, yeah, I went through 30 hours of labor and I never progressed past six centimeters. And like they said seven, but I think they were being generous. I don't think I progressed past six. And uh, my baby's fat head was making my cervix all swollen. So they're just like, yeah, this isn't. You're in a really high dose of Pitocin, and you're not going anywhere. And my OB was finally on call 30 hours after I initially went into labor. And I was just like, fine, just give me a damn C-section. Uh, so I did, and that was awful because there was nerve pain radiating into my clitoris, and I was screaming on the table. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> and uh, I don't even remember this. I apparently told them if they have damaged my clitoris, then I'm going to murder them. So good on me because that sounds like me. And uh, I did not have a good time, at least when I first saw my baby and my partner held him to me. I said, well, I don't resent him, <laughs> which is good because that's how I was feeling for the past, I don't know, 10-ish months. <laughs> I, like, I did not enjoy being pregnant. Uh, it was an awful experience. And I don't recommend it if you don't want to do it. Uh, and even if you do want to do it, I, I encourage you to really think hard about that because it's a it could be a really rough go. But the nice thing about my recovery is it it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be because I didn't get to the point where it would be an emergency C-section. So I it didn't essentially have to recover from two births. Like I didn't have to push and then be like, oh, this isn't going anywhere. I have to have a C-section. And also he was a nine pound, one ounce baby. And I didn't have to recover from what would have probably been a fourth degree tear. So it wasn't how I wanted to go, but definitely better than the alternative. <laughs> so... It was fun because I had like some strangers follow me on Twitter, like people I did not know and tell and like thank me for live tweeting my labor and how they learned so much about how labor is basically just like really boring and leaking fluid. Yeah, I was totally <laughs> following along. I um, had a similar story. It went a lot easier than than what you said, but induction and then C-section about 20 hours later. And uh, yeah, it was a little bit boring. Can't get out of bed and everything else, but. I was uh, a little bit intimidated, but I think it's really cool that you, you chose to tell people what it's really like. I just was texting everyone that I knew, including Karen. And... Yeah, it's funny because as someone who has not had a, a pregnancy or a birth, um, I I feel like in the last few years I've had a number of friends go through it. And, you know, there's a lot of information they don't tell you about what happens to your body during pregnancy until you are already pregnant. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things I would not want happening to me. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of vomit. 
I threw up at 37 weeks from heartburn. I threw up from the epidural and had shakes because apparently that's what narcotics can do to you. So I don't ever recommend heroin. Not that it was ever my, my style anyway. So yeah, I threw up a lot of like chicken stock because they don't allow you to eat while you're in labor, which, you know, could have maybe actually helped me get farther along if I'd had like food and like things to give me energy to get through it. But that was not an option. So like my mind is still blown by all the things they don't tell you during health class where you're, that's where you're supposed to learn it, you Mm -hmm. know, but like the body changes Mm -hmm. really. I would always say to my husband, there's like a cartoon idea of a pregnant lady who like gets fat and eats pickles and like just wants to put her feet up. And it's not like that at all. Are you craving anything? I'm craving not throwing up. That's, that's what I'm craving. <laughs> I also think that the post-hormone swing, like, meltdown, the, the come down from the hormones after birth, I think baby blues is the worst euphemism in the English language. For me, it was just crying uncontrollably for two or three days. Even when I felt incredibly happy, I couldn't not cry. And that's not cute. That's... <laughs> Don't, I mean, because we also talk about people who have very beautiful blue eyes having a nice pair of baby blues. Like, it's not like that at all. It's not like looking into your baby and feeling slightly sad and wistful for something. It's not like that at all. Well, I think it was while I was pregnant that the New Hampshire, or maybe just after I was pregnant, the New Hampshire legislator, and I think which is also Republican-dominated, accidentally passed a law that would have allowed pregnant people to just casually murder people. And I was like, yes, I'm here for that. (laughs) (laughs) So... Like, I'm honestly surprised that we don't hear more stories of pregnant people, like, murdering people because the rage is real. Oh, I was so angry when I was pregnant. I was lucky in that I didn't really uh, experience a lot of postpartum depression. I did have that, like, rush of hormones that was simultaneously amazing and also way too much and not sure I'd ever want to experience it again. Because it's like, I don't know this human, but I have very strong feelings about them. And that's... Not something you really ever anticipate or get used to. (laughs) It was definitely a wild ride. And the interesting thing is, like, because they gave me oxytocin to cramp my uterus post-C-section, I don't know if that's just, like, the normal dose of hormones you get postpartum or if, like, it was medically induced because they gave me a bag of oxytocin. I have no clue, and I guess it doesn't really matter. But I think it helps stop the bleeding. I have a friend who gave birth at home with no drugs, but her midwife still gave her that anyway, just to prevent hemorrhage. So Yeah, the most fun part about the C-section is when they press down on your tummy to get all the blood out oh of Oh my god, yes. It feels like a go-gurt tube. <laughs> they never so. tell you about Wait, that I'm either. sorry. Can so, you explain this? <laughs> so, like, I'm in recovery, and they come by, and I'm holding the baby, and they say, okay, give the baby to your husband. I said, okay. And they... Okay, sorry anybody who's listening who has a weak, weak stomach. They press down on your stomach, mm-hmm. and blood just flumes out of your vagina like a pump, like a cartoon pump. And it was just such an unsettling feeling. And I just went, oh my God, was that supposed to happen? And she's like, yeah, you're fine. It's fine. I said, I'm not hemorrhaging. She's like, no. I'm just... And then she presses down on my stomach again, and just more blood shoots out of and my vagina. And they didn't warn you that that was what was about no. to No. And she's like, I'm like, oh my God, is it supposed to happen again? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, okay. Okay. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. I don't think they did it to me in the recovery room. Uh, I think it was like post, like post-surgery. Um, like while they're stitching me up. So I just like feel like this go-gurt tube. I was like, well, that's a sensation I'll never forget and wish I never had to experience, but here we go. They should tell you. Like it's the, it's, it's almost like a lot of medical stuff like this in general. Doctors tell people when something weird's going to happen. I had to go to the eye doctor and they had to take my eye pressure 
Did you ever oh, have... Oh, weird, no! So basically, it's just a sponge, and the sponge just has to briefly touch your eye. And I didn't know what they were doing, and they're going at my eye, and I thought they were just going to look into my eye or put it near my eye. And when they go to have it touch my eye, I, like, just instinctively go to push the person away, and they're like, oh, it has to touch your eye. Well, you could have told me that beforehand. So medical people listening, just just tell people when something weird's going to happen. I feel like I'm so rude. Well, no, I'm not. I'm exactly as rude as I should be. But I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing to anybody who comes near me in a medical <laughs> setting? So, but no, I, did, I was not warned about the go-girding. So as I'm going to it's worth call it. And now, if only they had explained what they were doing, we could have the medically correct term for go-girding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if anybody is an OBGYN or, or a midwife who's listening and, and knows if there's technical words for that, send us a tweet <laughs> or an email. Or just change your lexicon to go-girding. <laughs> <laughs> is that trademarked, though, maybe? So it could be... My favorite thing about being postpartum, I guess, sort of, is just, like, learning a lot about breast milk that I didn't know before. Like, did you know that decongestants will lower your milk supply because milk is a mucus? Yes. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no. And then you're just like, oh, wait, everything I eat is congealed mucus or freshly expressed mucus or pasteurized mucus. And you're like, eating is disgusting. So. Yeah, I feel like vegan activists have already made me aware of, <laughs> of <laughs> the mucus aspect of milk and dairy. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to stop me, but it is pretty gross. I'll give them that. So you do Bolathon with Women Have Options, right? You volunteer? Oh, yeah. yeah. Last year, I was uh, one of the people who organized it, and this year, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, last year was really, really great. I think we raised like 85 grand, which was astounding but i just don't have time to do it but i am organizing our annual clothing swap which is like a fundraiser that we do in the spring and then i'm uh again organizing the burlesque show that benefits women have options and that'll be in march well i guess it'll be before the show airs so well, we can retweet it if you let us know when it is and we can retweet it or something like that but that's that's really neat because we always is this going to be our sixth year I, I think I'm 2018 is going to be our sixth year uh, bowling for the New York Abortion Access Fund. And it's always nice to talk to people who bowl in a different state. I think you're the first person that we've talked to that bowls for abortion access in a different state. I know several mm -hmm. people who do Women Have Options Ohio, but... That's because it's great. Stephanie's a delight. Yeah, that's the executive director of Women Have Options. She's really great. She's like a former Planned Parenthood organizer and just like an all-around awesome human being. She's actually the one who uh, designed the bonnets for the Handmaid's Tale protest. Yeah, if you haven't seen the pictures, it looks amazing. It looks like they rented the costumes from the TV show. For your burlesque show, are you going to um, revive the pill costume that you have, the pill pack costume? I don't know. I might. I also might make a new one. Actually, what I might do is not related to this at all, only in the sense that it's related to the birth control costume, is I want to make it into a pinata, because I think that'd be fun. But will the pinata be filled with emergency contraception? I was thinking <laughs> condoms and like those rubber fetuses and candy, but it's close enough. <laughs> I have a lot of those rubber fetuses from my baby shower, because that's the favor that was given out. <laughs> Were they medically accurate to how many weeks? Or were they, like, crisis pregnancy center, like, half-centimeter fully-formed baby fetuses? <laughs> yeah, no, I have a lot of plans in the upcoming weeks for, like, craftivist things, so that'll be fun. It'll be the first time I've done burlesque since before Arthur was born. But I'm thinking about doing, like, a Lady Liberty number and maybe a different one, but it'll be a lot of fun. And I've already got a few people booked, including a board member that's on women, the Women Have Options board and, like, 
couple of comedians, so it'll be a good time. And very abortion-y. That sounds like a lot of fun. Are there um, elections coming up in Ohio that people can participate in or vote in that you would want to talk about? Uh, I think May is the primary election for the governorship. And then November is going to be midterm elections. All of our house reps are up for grabs. Uh, We're going to be getting a new governor this year. Our senior senator position is hopefully going to be Sherrod Brown again because I don't want that to change. But it's just a matter of people getting out to vote. So, Are there any counties where there's a particular chance of switching the seat? Pat DeBerry just retired. Uh, and he's like one of like the Columbus, um, like not quite. It's, it's like, It includes parts of Franklin County, which is where Columbus. And then I think also like Delaware County. It's gerrymandered. So I don't know which county it is, but he just retired. So his seat is up for grabs. And that's Congress, I think. And then... There's like a few House districts that are open because of scandals that have happened. Like Wes Goodman is a Republican that got caught with a man, so and he's married, so that's up for grabs. But all of the like all of the representatives in Ohio, uh, like the House reps, are like up for election this year. So hopefully we'll have a few seats flip. But the redistricting isn't happening until like 2021 or 2022, so it's probably still going to be pretty heavily Republican unless our individual indivisible districts like really go hard, and I hope they do. So we'll see. What are the indivisible districts? Indivisible is uh, something that rose out of the 2016 election that like an, the indivisible guide. Um, so it's like progressive groups and like how to lobby, how to like flip your district, all that kind of stuff. So like a lot of them are really really strong especially in like the city centers so Columbus and Cincinnati but hopefully like also Dayton might get a few switches which would be nice cuz Dayton did not do so great in the 2016 election and they're pretty red but like there's a lot of like very progressive folks in Dayton too so here's hoping are you guys going to do something fun to raise money for Bolathon this year we're going to try we've been thinking about it we're we're uh, we're thinking about ideas you said you were going to do like a eating challenge so yeah i am going to uh for every hundred dollars i raise i'm going to make and taste test a disgusting recipe from the 60s like one of those gelatin based results yeah so you know because abortion access in ohio is going back to the 50s so i might as well cook like it um so it's a it's a really great challenge for food sadists like if you give me a hundred dollars up front you can pick the recipe it's gonna be fun but it's gonna be awful Oh, yeah. <laughs> My goal this year is to raise 1500 so here's hoping. We usually do a pizza party fundraiser for a bolathon. Mm-hmm. Karen did karaoke last year. Two years ago when I was pregnant, we did a comedy show at my UU congregation. When I was pregnant, I organized a comedy show at a church to raise money for abortions. But I think you can top that one, Kelly. We were talking about this. I have not planned any I think, abortion related at a church. I've tried. Uh, because one of our board members is part of the UU church here in Columbus. Didn't you say yeah, that you did stand up at a show for abortion access? I did, yeah. Uh, there's a quarterly Stand Up for Choice show here in Columbus. So each quarter there's a stand-up show that raises money for a pro-choice cause. And I've been on two of them, both of which went to Women Have Options, and one of them I proposed to my partner at. Uh, but I was not pregnant. Sorry. I did do, I did burlesque when I was pregnant. Wait, did you just say you did burlesque while you were pregnant? I did. I was, uh, that's, that's actually how I announced my pregnancy. Uh, I made that birth control pill costume and I tweeted it like, 
come to my abortion burlesque show and see this awesome costume I made. And then somebody from Cosmo, I guess, was following the tag for birth control or something and wanted to talk to me about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pregnant and it really sucks. And but like I still am, I'm more pro-choice than ever. And I hadn't actually announced publicly that I was pregnant yet. I think I was like 18 or 19 weeks along. I just didn't really know how to go about it. And I was like, well, this is a good reason as any to announce it publicly is and Cosmo. So that's what I did. <laughs> I had some friends who did not read it and didn't realize that I was pregnant until like months later. <laughs> so I had a question. There was a famous story, I think it was last year or two years ago, about an activist who was questioned by an anti-choice politician because she was testifying, I think, at a hearing while she was pregnant and they didn't believe that she actually was. They thought she was like wearing a fake belly or something like that. <laughs> did you get any weird reactions from the legislators? Because I have had people who is, who assume that once you get pregnant, with like a wanted pregnancy, you're immediately not pro-choice anymore, which is ridiculous for many, many reasons. I went to a lobby day in May when I was pregnant. I didn't really look pregnant until I was probably 27 or 28 weeks along. And my legislators that I was lobbying are Democrats because I live in Columbus, so they're, they're not going to be phased by anything like that. But Republican legislators more or less just ignored me. They just didn't want to acknowledge that I exist. And I actually got to escort at the local abortion clinic when I was 40 weeks pregnant. It was like due date. And we had a bunch of anti-choice protesters outside because that's what we always have on Saturdays. And they ignored me. <laughs> just did not act like I was there, did not act like I existed. And it was actually really funny because my partner like dropped me off. The protesters in the back see like this like 40 week pregnant like lady waddling out of the car and then they make eye contact with him and he just cackles and then drives away. <laughs> so, I mean, he was dropping me off because and then my friend was going to drive me home later, but it was just like a really funny like situation watching this very pregnant person get out of the abortion clinic just to escort Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kelly. Is there anything that you wanted to add? Move to Ohio. It's actually a lot of fun. <laughs> what are what are the great things about Ohio? We have a really awesome science museum, like four miles from my house. It's so old that they have like legitimate fetuses in various stages of development that you can look at, which is cool. Where can people follow you online? They can follow me on Twitter at Ramen Needles. And actually, I am dedicating myself in 2018 to writing and blogging about my craft and fist adventures so soon and i hope by this point in april that my blog will be up just ramenneedles.com so you can see all of my diys pro-choice or otherwise uh you can follow me on twitter at miss cherry pie that's p-i like the number pie and you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Karen, that's U-H-K-A-R-E-N. If you're a fan of the show, you can sponsor the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash feminist coffee hour. We have hired an editor, and if we get enough patrons, we're going to hire a graphic designer to do something about our logo and our website. Um, so if you're a design person, maybe that's some incentive. If you can't <laughs> kick us a few bucks, please give us a positive review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. The Political Flavors Feminist Coffee Hour podcast theme song is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth. You can listen to her music at soundcloud.com slash Bridget Ellsworth. And you can listen to her other songs there as well. And if you like what you hear, you can give her a like or even a follow.